Hello, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this podcast. And with all my heart, I hope you hear something that edifies, encourages, equip, enlightens, and then engages you in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and before you listen, I want to take a quick moment and explain to you this month's truth tool. The book is called I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. You know, it's paramount as followers of Christ that we not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. So questions like heaven and hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But sometimes we don't fully understand what it is we believe about Christianity. So the book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith is just that. It's concise and it's a wonderful guide to explain to you the cornerstones of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount because In the Market with Janet Partial is a listener-supported broadcast. We stay on the air because you pray and give. So if you'd like this month's Truth Rule, just call 877-JANET-58. Ask for a copy of I Believe. That's 877-JANET-58. Or you can go online to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Give a gift of any amount. We'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. While you're on that website, you might want to take a moment, scroll down just a little bit farther, and there's a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are people who give at a level of their own choosing, and they give every month. They get the truth tool if they ask for it every single month, and they'll also get a newsletter, only people that do, that includes an audio portion that only goes to my partial partners. So if you want to be a partial partner or you're just interested in giving one time to get a copy of I Believe, 877-JANET-58 is the route to go, 877-JANET-58, or online at InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. I Believe, a great book for you to put in your backpack as you continue your Pilgrim's Progress. Now, please enjoy the podcast. Friends, this is Janet Parshall. Thanks so much for choosing to spend the next hour with us. Today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines are not open. But thanks so much for being with us, and enjoy the broadcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely rare safety move by a major... 17 years the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. This That moment when I thought, oh, there's nobody up there now saying, oh, you're special anyway. And then I just realized, well, it's about taking personal responsibility for things. I think that's a big, that's a big change. If you've crossed over from one side to the other, you realize that your personal responsibility, you have to factor that in. You have to take responsibility for the choices that you make and the way you affect people and um, it makes you much more aware of... I mean, if, you, you know, if you're a religious believer, you spend, you might, you may spend, as I did, I spent a lot of my time just trying to convince people that they should believe in this supernatural force in the same way that maybe people talk about, yes, I'm psychic and explain it. I mean, you just, you just want to go, oh, I was having a really nice conversation until you said that. Now I just think you're a bit stupid. Um, and I spent a lot of time doing that. And now it makes me cringe when I think back on that. And, uh, so thinking, where, where does that come from? What is that kind of lack of self-awareness that you feel you're sort of earning people's respect by, by proselytizing about some, you know, some sort of supernatural force, whatever it is, is just silly. So I think, yeah, uh, greater self-awareness and sense of self-responsibility is, is a good thing. Wow. 
just stunning. So that's atheist Darren Brown. Would you know how to respond winsomely through a grace narrative to him? Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. Whoa, time out. So because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I happen to believe in the transcendent, immutable truth of the word of God, I don't take personal responsibility. In fact, I would say that was the antithesis of a follower of Jesus Christ. And if anything else, I understand that I can make choices with consequences and I choose to be obedient to him rather than choose rebellion and sin. That's about the quintessential definition, it seems to me, of personal responsibility. And by the way, you see how he slipped, defaulted, stepped back, if you will, to argument on hominem? Uh, That's kind of a foolish position. That's, by the way, the hallmark when you tend to be losing a debate. And you don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. So you don't respond in kind as a follower of Jesus if you're going to engage an atheist. But these are all the rules of deportment. By the way, why why do I feel I have to self-affirm by telling somebody? Well, that's one way to look at it. I think it's a foolish way to look at it. But if you're sick and I have the cure for cancer, wouldn't I want to tell you what the cure is? You and I are sin sick and we need a cure. And the cure was the cross. So what compassionate, kind, loving person would keep that good news to themselves? I'm, I'm joining the ranks of Peter and John, who, when they were told to sit down and be quiet, said, we can't stop talking about that which we've seen and heard. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. We're rather... Uh, passionate about apologetics on this program. And you know what? I love the fact that globally there are people who are contending for the faith, as it says in the book of Jude. And I love particularly people who contend for the faith and use it through the medium of radio. Now, the preeminent Christian broadcasting network in the UK is Premier, and they've been under attack for lots of reasons. I follow them greatly uh, in my association with the national religious broadcasters here in the United States. And you know, some of the sermons of some of our great Bible teachers, there have to be tweaked a bit so as not to offense, to be more inclusive, etc. And it's difficult. And yet, God still keeps the doors open at Premier Radio for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he raises up fascinating people who are willing to engage, not unlike Paul when he was visiting with the Epicureans and the Stoics up there in that rocky outcrop just below the Parthenon, you know, the one, the Areopagus. And then people like Justin Brierley come along and they do a program Saturday mornings called Faith Explored, which is a debate program. In fact, the debate program is called Unbelievable. And that gave rise to a fabulous book he wrote called Unbelievable. Why, after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian. <laughs> And you can get that caught my attention. Justin joins us all the way from the UK. Justin, the warmest of welcomes. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Janet. It's a delight to be with you. Oh, thank you so. All right. Uh, Let me go back to the beginning. Tell me how you got involved in Christian broadcasting and how you came up with this marvelous idea of having a debate format. Well, this goes back some 15 years or so. And uh, I'd recently got married and uh, I was on a gap year with my wife, actually, and uh, the opportunity came up when we returned for me to be able to do some work experience with a Christian radio station. That sort of met a lot of the interests in my life, and uh, soon enough I was learning the ropes of live radio, um, becoming a co-host on The Breakfast Show, and eventually, um, after a few years of working there, I got the chance to develop my own program in the schedule. Uh, That was unbelievable. We were very good as a Christian radio station uh, at talking to Christians about Christian things, which is all important. Um, But I wanted to do something a bit different. I wanted to open the conversation up a bit and to kind of help Christians actually to interact with Mm non-Christians, actually model what it would look like to talk to non-Christians on the air. 
It was an experiment. It was uh, an interesting one. Uh, not everyone liked it, to be honest, to start with. <laughs> yes. But it, it, it was one that, that I felt was worth pursuing and which over the course of time has had some wonderful results. Wow. Okay, I've got to explore this because I so applaud this. Uh, you and I subscribe to an all-comers policy. Welcome to the Marketplace of Ideas. We don't serve a God with clay feet. I'm happy to meet you in that marketplace. Come visit my booth. We only buy the truth, as Christian and Faithful said in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. So come, I would like to be able to discuss with you. But my question is, how do you get the non-believer to feel comfortable enough to accept it? Because, you know, here in the United States, we've been called poor, uneducated, and easy to command. So sometimes they'll run the opposite direction. And as C.S. Lewis said, one of our mutual heroes, Christians are the best argument for and against Christianity. So how do you get to the point where you invite these people to be on air with you? Well, it was a, a very much a learning process. And when I started out, I, I had very few contacts in a sense that I, people I knew to call upon. Um, and I, it was very much a case of simply learning as I went along. Um, as I did that, I, I soon learned who were some of the key players in some of the central debates around Christianity, faith, philosophy, science, and so on. And, and what that did was help me to work out who the best kinds of people were to have together in certain types of discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, so over time, my, my book of contacts certainly started to fill up and I was able to, um, you know, really get some of the best minds on both sides, actually, to debate these ideas. Wow. But, Excellent. But it was, it was a case of helping the listeners along on that journey as well, because 100%. it's not always the easiest thing to, to oh, do that. Oh, Darren, you're talking my talk. You know, it's part of equipping the saints, as scripture says. And I bet, like me, sometimes when you hold people on who are antagonistically uh, against the Christian worldview, people will say, don't have that person on. You've just given the devil airplay. To which I say, well, okay, if you turn the the knob, my guess is the devil's got airplay on every station around us here. So why don't we invite them to our house and we'll engage and we can learn how to contend for the faith. Speaking the truth in love is an exercise. And so we can examine that on air. More after this. Heaven, hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But do you understand what you believe? That's why I've chosen I Believe, a concise guide to the essentials of the Christian faith as this month's truth tool. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. The elegance of Darwinism is corrosive to religion, precisely because it is so elegant, so parsimonious, so powerful, so economically powerful. It has the sinewy economy of a beautiful suspension bridge. The God theory is not just a bad theory. It turns out to be, in principle, incapable of doing the job required of it. Well, that's Richard Dawkins, and he uses the right words, by the way. Eloquent, elegant and eloquence were referring to Darwinism. Well, maybe. But he also talks about a suspension bridge, which is particularly apropos, because you have to suspend belief, I think, in order to believe in abject random choices that are made in the world today, and that's very much what Richard Dawkins touts. By the way, I challenge you to read these people. 
You know, I love the idea that iron sharpens iron. And if you want to know what you believe and why you believe it, read people that you don't agree with. And that will sharpen your mind. It will quicken your heart. And it will better prepare your apologetic when you start to contend for the faith. Justin Briarly knows that because for a long time on Premier Radio in the UK, which is the preeminent Christian broadcasting network there, he has been doing a program on air that includes a debate program called Unbelievable? Question mark. And he's got a very popular podcast podcast that has come out of that as well. He has a regular annual apologetics and evangelism conference. And when he's got nothing else to do, when he's not being a husband, a father, and he's on radio, he's the senior editor of Premier Christianity magazine. But he has a passion for apologetics. And he has for years been interviewing people in these debate formats with some of the leading contenders for the anti-God theory, if I can put it out that way. So he put it all together in a book called Unbelievable Question Mark, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I Am Still a Christian. So, Justin, we, we've heard uh, Darren Brown, we've heard Richard Dawkins in these two little clips I've played so far. So you rightfully point out the fact that you're serving up delicious conversation by making sure you have the right couplings together. It's almost like a dinner party, if I can put it that way. <laughs> you have the right people, pro and con, and in the process, you're not only drawing, one hopes, those who don't yet believe closer, we're fishing for men after all, but you are equipping the saints and teaching them how to explore these ideas, not to be afraid of what we believe, to know what you believe and why you believe it. And in, in the process of all of this, it's not changed the fact that your God is the one true God and does not have feet of clay. So let me just ask you, as you look back over all those years, as you've had these debates, were there a couple of standouts in your own mind that you really enjoyed over others? Well, to be honest, the two you just played, uh, you know, Darren Brown and Richard Dawkins were both very memorable in a sense, because obviously they're both extremely well known in their field. Um, obviously, Richard Dawkins is known around the world really as the preeminent uh, arch anti-theist and um, uh, and Darren Brown may be not so well known to your listeners in the USA but here in the UK he is a massive star of TV and stage he's a an illusionist um, kind of does a kind of a mind reading act along with that kind of in the leagues of you know David Copperfield in the in the mm. states and that kind of thing uh, but he's well known also as an atheist someone who's very skeptical of faith so I actually had a chance um, a couple of times to, to talk to Dawkins on the program and it was only actually last year that I spoke to Darren Brown and that was actually a one-to-one -one conversation between myself and him not the usual format where I've got two people and I'm moderating the debate but both both were incredibly memorable because obviously um, the first time I, I had a conversation with Dawkins was actually in Oxford um, I went to Oxford as a student myself and uh, he has always you know resided there as as a professor of biology but of course better known now for his atheism than his science and um, the first time I met him though was after a debate he'd had with John Lennox Professor John Lennox who's also based in Oxford and um, they had just been debating the existence of God in the grand surroundings of the Oxford Natural History Museum well I managed to bag a an interview with Dawkins in the after show reception and it was there that I kind of decided to try and press him a little bit on some of the issues that he'd been debating with John Lennox. And perhaps the most memorable thing of that conversation was actually when we started to talk about morality and evolution and whether he could really believe in a moral universe when evolution is driven by completely undirected, in his view, processes. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, that little part of our conversation sort of went viral on, on um, you know, websites and things like that afterwards because he effectively admitted that his belief that rape is wrong is, is essentially arbitrary. 
Um, and and for me, that was an important admission because I think it's it gets to the truth of what you have to believe if you're an atheist, which is ultimately there is no such thing as morality. It That's is right. all an illusion. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, our belief that human life is somehow intrinsically valuable, well, that simply has no grounding on, on atheism. And I, I think that does mean that most atheists, when they are pressed to kind of really think about their worldview, they, they actually have to realize that, that there's there's not much there and you and i think that comes as a shock to many people and certainly you know as you say our mutual hero c.s lewis it was mm-hmm. certainly part of his conversion to christianity yes yes so well said you write about this meeting with dawkins by the way in a chapter called my 10 minutes with richard dawkins and uh i'm so glad that you referenced john lennox been on this program endorsed your book as well um and often will engage um, the anti-theists as well which i think is very interesting but let me go to richard's idea about the idea that if you determine that rape is in fact not right that is a moral statement. If there's a moral statement, there's a presupposition there that says there has to be right and wrong. If there's right and wrong, who then creates the moral code or the law to determine what, in fact, is right or wrong? So if you believe in this wanton randomness, as Dawkins and others subscribe to, then you have to, in the book of Judges, I wouldn't use this with them, but for us, you're doing what's right in your own eyes. So it's quintessential mm-hmm. subjectivity, it's situational ethics, and yet there's a universality of people on this globe right now who overwhelmingly, perhaps not the perpetrator, but overwhelmingly would say rape is wrong. So if you mm-hmm. can recognize a universal wrong, can you recognize at the same time a universal law giver? And this is the conundrum, it seems to me, for the atheist. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And, and if you don't mind me just actually quoting from this conversation, because, well, perhaps we'll do that in the next break at least. Oh. Um, but but, but <laughs> it, it is fascinating when you do press this issue that many atheists don't really have an answer. They haven't necessarily even thought about it. Yes, so true. Justin, I can tell you're a radio professional. You heard the music. You knew we had to take a break. What a joy. Let me take a break and come right back. Justin Brierley's book is called Unbelievable? Question mark. And this is a series of experiences he's had after talking for 10 years plus with atheists and why he still remains a Christian. Back after this. think it's an illegitimate thing from a scientific perspective, Peter, to see whether scientifically one can establish whether intelligence needs to be involved um, in the origin of well, life. I think scientific method is to, um, is, is Occam, again, to see whether you can account for everything that is reliably yeah, known um, yeah. without elaborating the hypothesis. And um, so let's just take the laws of nature. Um, do you, if you want to talk about those, we will. Let's just take the laws of nature as, as available and seeing that letting them run free in the environment that we can speculate existed. We've got evidence for the type of, evidence, of environment that existed billions of years ago. Um, uh, seeing whether that sort of process leads to, to life. And if it does, that seems to me to abnegate the need for the imposition of intelligence. And if it doesn't? Then uh, 
if we go on trying, we may have to try for 100 years. But, but, but and if we, in the end, come to the conclusion that um, an external intelligence must have done it, then we will have to accept that. Would you be prepared to accept that? No, because I think that... <laughs> I thought um, you said it, we'd have to. Yeah, but I'm going to... Um, be, so your atheism uh, doesn't gonna, depend on your science then? Oh, it does. But it also, um, I, I, I think it would show, if we failed, if we had to impose intelligence at some point, it would show that um, we, we run up against a, a wall of having insufficient intelligence. I love this kind of stuff. So there's brilliant John Lennox exposing the atheistic worldview of Peter Atkins. And you heard what happened. And I want you to follow this. So basically, Lennox said, if the evidence leads to an intelligent designer, would you accept it? No. (laughs) So that is the working definition of situational ethics. You've already arrived at your own conclusion, and then you backfill with the evidence that affirms the decision you've already arrived at. You don't let the evidence speak for itself. You simply backfill and look for only evidence that you think will support your presupposition. That's that's not honest examination, by the way. And for us as the believer, our evidence leads to the reality of who God is. And that's why these kinds of conversations are so important. I was just talking about this with my husband today about how, because the gospel message is so simply profound and profoundly simple, Sometimes we fail to exercise the mind that God has given us. We have been told that not only is our heart transformed, but my mind has been renewed. And it's not an either or for the believer. It is both. And that's why I love conversations like we're having today with Justin Brierley, who's been talking about this on Premier Radio in the UK for over 10 years, closer to 15 years. And he has a very popular program called Faith Explored. And in that format, he has a debate program called Unbelievable, where after much consideration, and I'm sure quite a bit of prayer, he puts the right people together and has these conversations, both pro and con, with people who are uh, understanding that God is real and those who absolutely uh, say that there is no evidence that substantiates his existence. He put it all together in an absolutely fabulous book that really makes the case for Christianity called Unbelievable, question mark, why, after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian. So, Justin, let me linger on this for a little bit, because you know John, and he's just uh, uh, so non um uh, exaltating. He's just one of the most yeah. humble people I've ever met, just brilliant and just listens with such a quick mind and the ears on his heart. So mm. Peter basically says, even if the evidence leads to the conclusion that there's an intelligent designer, he refuses to accept it. At some <laughs> point, that's when the conversation comes to an abrupt halt because yeah. it's like you refuse to see where the evidence would lead you, right? Yeah. And I've I've had John Lennox on my show many times. In fact, he was at my apologetics conference just this year. And, mm. and he, he's a wonderfully warm, winsome uh, person with wonderful stories as well, if you get him talking about some of the experiences he's had. But um, whenever he's been on with other scientists of a similar ilk to Peter Atkins, who we heard there, um, such as Lawrence Krauss and others, um, he, we always come across this issue that very often pe- people claim that they're evidence-based people. But when you actually ask, well, what kind of evidence would persuade you of the existence of God? It turns out there is no evidence exactly. that could persuade them. Um, and, and that's what, often where I've come down to, sometimes in, with some of the more hard-boiled skeptics I have on, where we seem to be hitting a, a brick wall. I will say to them eventually towards the end of each show, you know, well, look, 
if there were some kind of evidence that could persuade you, would, would you tell us what it is? And, and then that leaves them scratching their head because it turns out that even if Jesus appeared to them, say, in the room, well, yeah, yeah. the mind plays tricks on you. You know, it, it, it's probably just my mind. Or the stars spelled out God is here and he wants to know you. Well, it could be alien technology. You know, so if, if you're in a place where any explanation will be preferred to a divine explanation, then it's very difficult to know what kind of evidence I could possibly present to you. And I think when people get to that point, you have to say, well, I don't think you want to believe, and yes. that's the problem. Yes, well said. We were talking about your conversation with Richard Dawkins, and you were going to share part of that conversation, Justin. So let me go back to that, because I'd love for you to share that with our friends. Yeah. Well, this was, as I say, uh, shortly after um, Dawkins had had this debate in Oxford with John Lennox, and I was just pressing him a little bit in our interaction afterwards. Um, So I asked him, if we'd evolved into a society where rape was considered fine, would that mean that rape is fine? And he replied, well, I don't want to answer that question. It's enough for me to say that we live in a society where it's not considered fine. We live in a society where selfishness, failure to pay your debts, failure to reciprocate favors is regarded askance. That is the society in which we live. I'm very glad. That's a value judgment. Glad that I live in such a society. So I asked, but when you make a value judgment, don't you yourself immediately step outside this evolutionary process and Mm. say the reason this is good is that it's good and you don't have any way to stand on that statement? And I ended up saying, um, he ended up saying, well, it's, it's just as random then, in a sense, as any product of evolution. And he said, you could say that. And I said, so ultimately, your belief that rape is wrong is as arbitrary as the fact that we've evolved five fingers rather than six. And Mm. he said, you could say that. Yes. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Oh, these are such important conversations. Justin Brierley is with us all the way from the UK, host of Faith Explored, senior editor of Premier Christian Magazine, and the author of Unbelievable. More after this. Friends, this is Janet Parshall, and I want to take a moment to remind you that today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines aren't open. But I sure do appreciate your spending the hour with us, and thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of the program. Jesus told us to go into the world and not run away from it, and he didn't say it would be easy. In the Market with Janet Partial is a program designed to come alongside and walk with you into the marketplace of ideas. Partial Partners are those friends who support our program on a regular monthly basis. They know the mandate of influencing and occupying until he comes, so why don't you become part of the inner circle of support? Call 877-JANET-58 or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. The most important philosophy, I think, is that even if it isn't true, you must absolutely assume there is no afterlife. You cannot for one second, I think, abrogate the responsibility of, of, of believing that this is it. Because if you think you're going to have an eternity in which you can talk to Mozart and, and, and Schopenhauer in, in, on a cloud and learn stuff and you know really get to grips with knowledge and understanding and so you won't bother now I think you're it's a terrible a terrible mistake it may be that there is an afterlife and I'll look incredibly stupid but at least I would have had a crammed pre-afterlife a crammed life so to me the most important thing is um, you know uh, as Kipling put it you know to fill every 60 seconds um, with you know what is it to fill every unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run you know absolutely uh, so that's all I'm saying, I suppose, is that, um, is that it, there's no point wasting time um, being lazy.
The British actor Stephen Fry, who's, um, well, not the tiniest bit uncontroversial. He's a very controversial figure, by the way, and um, often gets asked on programs to tout his atheism as well. We're talking with Justin Brierley, who is the host of a wonderful program on Premier Radio, which is the preeminent Christian broadcasting outlet in the UK. It's called Faith Explored. He's got a debate program called Unbelievable? Question mark. And after umpteen years of doing this, where he invites people on the show as part of this debate, format. He's put it all together in a book, and what he's done is he's given this brilliant defense of the gospel based on these arguments that he's heard over and over again from atheists low these many years. Again, the full title of the book is called Unbelievable, Why After Ten Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian. We've got links on our website for you to learn more about Justin and for you to consider this book as well. These are the kinds of books that I dog ear, underline, and mark up with yellow magic marker, and if you ask very nicely, I may lend it to you because it's just one of those rich resource books you want to keep on your shelf forever. Uh, I want to talk about Jesus. You talk about Jesus. In fact, you have a chapter called, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And we were talking about evidence. And actually, Justin, our conversation up to this point leads perfectly to this point. We have more historical substantiation for the existence of Jesus of Nazareth than we do for Julius Caesar. So if you're really going to take a look at a preponderance of evidence, you really have to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to say that Jesus is not who he says he was. So you reference a book, and I watched with great interest when Caesar's Messiah came out, that apparently it was going to be, at least to the author's hope, it was going to be this explosive tome that was going to eradicate the truth of Christianity once and for all. Tell me about this. Didn't quite happen that way. <laughs> I think he, he kind of envisaged himself as some kind of real-life Dan Brown type, right. you know, who would suddenly turn over the whole of historic Christianity in one fell swoop. But um, it turned out he was just a computer programmer with some money to spare. Um, it, it's really, it's one of those stories where um, the, the problem is we live in an internet age where if if you've got the talent to kind of get a website up and, you know, make some fanciful claims, unfortunately, it, it can spread around the world a lot faster than real academic, uh, credible kind of research. And we see this with, with books like Caesar's Messiah. This was a, a guy called Robert Atwill who had published this book claiming that the Romans invented Jesus in order to keep um, uh, the dissident Jewish people under control. Um, I mean, any cursory um, look at history will tell you how ridiculous that claim is. That's right. But um, but the problem is that Jesus mythicism, as it's called, is is incredibly rampant on the internet, you know, and it's mainly fueled by atheistic websites. Um, and uh, so I I've had a number of these conversations on the program just because it's out there in the popular culture, having some of the leading proponents of Jesus mythicism on the show to engage with scholars and not necessarily, you know, evangelical scholars, because actually any historical scholar who's really worth their salt is able to take on this kind of stuff because they know that the history simply is, is absolutely clear that there was a Jesus of Nazareth. Um, now, they may not believe he rose from the dead, but the, historically speaking, his existence is, is as certain as any other character from history. Exactly so right. It's, 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 it's been a fascinating one. I mean, probably one of the best known is, is a, a Richard Carrier, well-known in the atheistic movement. And I had him on um, uh, to, to debate this whole subject. And what I was struck by was actually when he came and explained why he doesn't believe Jesus existed, it, it just sounded so far-fetched. You know, he really believes that Jesus um, was just an ethereal vision in the minds of people like Paul and others, who was then later turned into a real flesh and blood Jesus. And, well, you only have to look at the fact that 
there are these throwaway references in the letters of Paul to James, the brother of Jesus. You know, you don't get a brother of Jesus um, without there being a Jesus to be the sibling of. Um, it, it, it's kind of on so many levels. It, it, you have to fetch the, uh, stretch things so far. It, it, it's crazy. And so even well-known agnostic um, uh, people who are no, no friends to biblical Christianity, like um, uh, Bart Ehrman, for mm-hmm, instance, mm-hmm. Have, have, have published books, basically, um, against this whole movement called Jesus Mythicism. So in a sense, um, that was an easy chapter to write because the historical evidence for Jesus is very strong. And, um, and as you say, um, there's l- more evidence for the, the crucifixion of Jesus than there is for the crossing of the Rubicon by Caesar, yet no historian ever doubts such an event like that and and so you have to um accept that unfortunately in the age we live um fake news is alive and well and one of those (laughs) fake fake news items is this idea that jesus didn't exist exactly right oh let me linger here because i think this is important and i want it to be an encouragement for those who are lovers of christ and followers of his word it really has given birth to this explosive industry of writing all of these books by the way in the united states and i bet it's the same in the uk all you have to do is say that jesus was a myth or that he was married or that he never existed and you are promised a position on the most important television programs in america and your columns will show up in the most important newspapers so killing jesus is popular for people to get preponderance of public exposure. And that's a lot of P's. You and I know we avoid those in radios, but you see how that all works. So the reality is, if the history is there, and by the way, for you to say that there isn't any history, you got a problem with 500 witnesses. you got people with eyewitnesses who wrote the gospel messages. I mean, again, the evidence is overwhelming. But you go to the big picture. The big picture here, and let me preface this by saying, my heart breaks for those who don't yet know the Lord. None of our conversation is meant as condemnation or casting aspersions. If our heart doesn't break for the people who don't know the Lord as their personal Savior, we need to stand in front of our own spiritual mirror and say, wait a minute, if he's not willing that any should perish, that goes to the Dawkinses and the Browns and the Fries and the Dennets and every other person out there who rails against the reality of the cross. If that doesn't break our heart, if we don't put them on our prayer list and bang on the door of heaven for their salvation, there's something wrong. But when you and I go out into that marketplace, and my prayer, Jesus said, is not that you keep them out of the world, but that we are to go right smack dab into it. And when we get there, this is what we will find. We need to know how to contend. So it seems to me, mm. pulling back at this 35,000 foot altitude on this, Justin, that you have to kill Jesus. Because if you kill Jesus, you think you've killed the gospel message. If you killed the gospel message, there is no God. So there's, there's a continuum here that makes perfect sense to me if I was going to argue for the other side. I have to take away Jesus, his messiahship, his miraculous nature, because if I do, then the whole of Christianity falls mm. under its own weight. Correct? I, I think that is the motivation ultimately behind a lot of these ideas. And Jesus, uh, the fact is, he is the most compelling thing about Christianity. And for me, if you can eliminate Jesus, then you've kind of obviously ripped the heart out of Christianity. That's I think, is, is the motivation behind it. But the fact is, when people actually do get to see Jesus, when they actually meet the, the Jesus of history, the, the, the Jesus who inhabits our hearts, things change. And I've met so many atheists who are no longer atheists, you know, who Mm -hmm. are Christians, because um, through, yes, um, often it is an intellectual journey as well as a journey of the heart, they have been able to realize that there really is a purpose to life, and that purpose is called, has a name, Jesus. And for me, that's the most profound and brilliant thing about what I get to do is when I hear of those stories, when I meet those people for whom that's happened. Um, I think think it's so important as well, you, you, you talk about 
you know, the fact that we should be praying, we should be praying, because I often say uh, it, it, you have to question your motives if, if you're not prepared to pray as much for the person you're talking to as you as the length of time you're prepared to spend debating. Yes, them, you know. yes. Um, there, there's a sense in which conversations have got very bitter very often, especially in an Internet world, online, Facebook and so on. I see a lot of very bad engagement happening on both sides, Christians and atheists, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And and I think we need to recover the fact that this isn't about winning an argument. It's about winning people. And uh, you can win an argument but lose the person, frankly, because of the way you've engaged with them. And we need to take seriously what, what it says in First Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a reason yes, for yes. the hope that you have whenever someone asks. But do this with gentleness and respect. There was a reason he said that. Because you you turn people off if you just go in like you know a cannonball and 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 that for me has always been the difference between the the apologist who actually manages to really bring people closer they're the people who have actually taken the time to listen to care to get to the questions behind the questions in yes. that sense yes. and to really engage the individual there. Oh, Justin, let me tell you how much I appreciate your saying that. I was thinking of Oswald Chambers. I often go back to this because I join you from Washington, D.C., which is a town filled with egos and opinions. Oswald Chambers says we are not called to make men converts of our opinions, but converts of Christ Jesus. So when you engage these individuals, it isn't a matter about how brilliant your debating format's going to be. It's whether or not they first see Jesus in you and they are curious enough to say, now tell me about this Jesus that makes you who you are. We are visiting with Justin Brierley. I can tell you right now, should have done two hours with Justin so much. I barely scratched the surface of his book. Unbelievable. Why, after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian. A brilliant title, but basically he lays out the defense of Christianity and why, after talking to these atheists, he's even a stronger follower of Christ. Back after this. whether you are a materialist or supernaturalist, no particular reason to say that human life has any enormous uh, innate value. After all, religion disposes of people in heaps and mounds and says, go out, we depart into eternal fire, you're, you're dust, you're nothing. If you don't have our faith, you're nothing less than nothing, you're worse, you're evil, wicked, so forth. So these are, it's not as if by assuming a god you suddenly find that life is all worthwhile after all. It's, if it was that simple, we wouldn't have to be having this discussion. Oh, Christopher Hitchens had the opportunity to bait him on more than one occasion, and now he knows definitively, having stepped into eternity, whether God is real or not. But I must tell you that his brother, who likewise at one point walked away from his faith, came back again. So we pray without ceasing. You know, when you see these individuals on television or you read their op-eds that show up in the newspapers, put it down after you've read it. Billy Graham says you walk through life with the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other, and then pray for these people. Create a most wanted list, add their names, and pray for them on an ongoing regular basis. Justin Brierley is with us. He's written a wonderful book called Unbelievable? Question mark, And it really is a kind of tongue-in-cheek title, because what he did is he gleaned from all of his years of visiting with atheists And all it's done is affirm the reality, the preponderance of evidence, if I can use that phrase again, for 
The Reality of the Christian Worldview. It is a fabulous book. If you're at all interested in apologetics, it's brilliant. And it comes out of Justin's experience uh, hosting one of the most popular programs on Premier Radio, which is the preeminent broadcasting outlet in the UK. Uh, it's called Faith Explored. And in it, he has this debate program called Unbelievable Question Mark. So, so many questions, Justin, I want to ask you. You write about this in one chapter entitled God Makes Sense of Human Value. Chris Hitchens is basically saying, no, you can believe that there there's intrinsic value without believing there is, in fact, a God. Talk to me about this. Well, that's the claim that many atheists make, but I, I find it very difficult to see how that's justified at all. And to me, it's one of the central arguments for me um, for the existence of God, because most people recognize, don't they, that humans are in some way special, that um, we, there's a reason why we have conventions of human rights there's a reason why we believe in the equality and dignity of all people um but if all that does actually exist is matter in motion and if humans are simply the result of a completely random unguided process of evolution then by de facto there is no reason to assume humans have any more privilege on the tree of life than any other form of life and and so you have this, this conundrum for the average atheist where you have to ask yourself, why do I privilege humans above any others? Now, one of the most common uh, terms that atheists are now adopting for themselves in terms of a, an ethical sort of uh, label is humanist. You know, um, that's kind of come to be defined now as a non-religious person, but who does subscribe to certain ethical ideals. But in fact, I think humanists have a problem with that name because there's no reason to uh, value humans over anything else. You know, why be a humanist? Why, why not, you know, prefer some other species on? And, and it, it, for me, I think what we're confronted with time and again is the fact that the only thing that really grounds this intrinsic dignity that all people seem to recognize deep down is that we are made in the image of God. Mm. That, that is the way that we can... You know, and for me, throughout the book, what I'm trying to do is, is make clear that it's not that Christianity has this great burden of proof that it has to prove that there's supernatural to all these atheists who are basically just waiting for us to make our case. No, every atheist also has their own worldview, right. and most often it's a worldview called naturalism or materialism, mm -hmm. the view that all that exists is matter in motion, the universe came from nowhere, is heading into oblivion, that no good or evil exists, no purpose, no meaning, no ultimate sense of, of, of justice or anything like that. And you have to ask, does that make sense of the world we live in and what we experience within ourselves? And for me, it simply doesn't. I've, I've had these conversations for over 10 years. And for me, Christianity makes so much more sense, both of the world that's out there, the scientific account of how we came to be, the extraordinary odds of us being here in the first place, and what we find inside ourselves when we look inside and we find this, this deep sense of value that we hold. And, and this deep sense of purpose as well, which, again, is strange and weird and uh, inexplicable uh, in a world where there is no God. Mm. And yet here we are with all of these, these attributes. And for me, what is the best explanation? Is the best explanation the godless universe of Richard Dawkins, Stephen Fry, and, and all those others we've been hearing from on the program? Or is it the world of C.S. Lewis and John Lennox and others who hold that there is a mind, a purpose, um, a, a lawgiver behind this whole cosmos. And for me, it makes more sense to believe that. That's, that's the conclusion I've come to after 10 years. 
Yeah. Wow. If you said so many things, let me just see if I can pull a couple out. I love the idea of recognizing that, in fact, all of us have a worldview. No one sheds their worldview. It is the grid through which we push all of our decisions and how we view the world. So if you go to naturalism, this presupposition that that science or C.S. Lewis called it scientism sort of rules the day over everything else. Is there anything besides that that you would say is a common thread that has woven itself through most of the conversations that you've had with atheists, aside from the obvious one, which is God does not exist. He is the God who is not there. Are there other common threads that you hear? Well, of course, the perennial question comes up. You know, if you if you make, you know, a pretty valid case, let's say, a case that might get the atheist starting to think, okay, maybe there's something to this. The next most common question that they're going to say is, but if there is a God, why would he allow suffering? Exactly. Why would he allow evil? Yes. So that's always the one we, we often end up coming to at some point or another if we're having a discussion. And that is a huge question, and it's not an easy one. I've, I've done my best to tackle it in the book. But, but the, the important thing for me is that, firstly, we need to recognize that evil and suffering is certainly a mystery on the Christian view of the world. But on atheism, it's meaningless. There, there is no meaning anything so you're, you're kind of saddled with the problem whether you like it or not as an atheist um, at least on the Christian view I believe that however we come to understand the problem of suffering and evil we do believe in a God who ultimately will one day put everything right where questions will be answered but that's not something we're offered at all on atheism and for me that's a really important distinction well Justin, you must come back again. In fact, I would love to the next time you come to visit. We'll explore more deeply this whole question of suffering, why it's a stumbling block. It'll either cause some some Christians to step back, step away, and it will keep others away from the foot of the cross. And I'd love to take questions, particularly from our friends who are listening, who do not yet believe that Jesus is who he said he was. We'd love to hear your questions as well. So, Justin, thank you. I'm so keenly aware of the different time that it is for you there than it is for me here. And you stayed up for us. It means so much. I want to get folks to our website so that they'll learn more about your book. Unbelievable. It's in the market with JanetParshall.org. A absolutely brilliant apologetic for the defense of the gospel predicated on all these conversations Justin has had as a radio host low these many years with atheists. It's in a word brilliant. So check it out. In the market with JanetParshall.org. I thank Justin for being with us and you. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall.